Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast. Today's episode is on whole body healing from the nervous system to the gut microbiome to self-love and more with Maria Victoria Albina. She uses she, her, Aya pronouns and is a functional medicine nurse practitioner, herbalist, nervous system expert, and host of the Feminist Wellness podcast. This episode is a lot about our somatic experience of life and how things that are happening in our nervous systems and in our heads impact our bodies because it's all so connected. Um, So it's really fascinating. We talk about her journey with health and with healing, how the stories we tell about ourselves and the world impact our somatic experience of life the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory, different nervous system states, our bodies perceiving threat, finding safety slowly and steadily in the nervous system, allowing your body to complete the energy of what it wanted to do in a challenging moment, hypervigilance after trauma, self-love, the fawn response, codependence and people-pleasing, attachment theory, and all of this existing in the context of oppressive systems. I hope that you learned something from this episode that feels helpful. I definitely did. Um, And make sure you check out her website, her links in the comments. There's some sweet free things that she put together for y'all. Um, and check out Joy Notes, my substack with writings on creativity, aliveness, beauty, grief, all of the things, all linked in the description. Sending you lots of love. I would love to hear about your journey with healing and the body and all of those things, how it's brought you to the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh my goodness, where shall we begin? A rainy Wednesday in 1979. Uh, (laughs) I was born. Um, So I had digestive trouble my whole life. Um, What was eventually diagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, which is like the most wastebasket garbage baloney diagnosis on the planet. It's pretty much healthcare provider for, we don't know what's wrong with you, but um, please leave. And (laughs) if I give you a diagnosis, you'll leave maybe happier. So um, yeah, I just had a tummy ache that wouldn't quit. And um, the intermittent depression and anxiety that goes with that, because the gut microbiome rules rules the human along with the the vagus nerve right there are are two main super super highways in our human bodies um having been really sick and not having been able to find the help i wanted in the world the help i really needed i did what a super nerd would do and um became the help i needed so i studied <laughs> herbal medicine um, became a clinical herbalist uh went to ucsf and became a nurse practitioner studied functional medicine for years uh and started learning how to heal myself and helping others to do the same because i knew how miserable it was to to be sick and to get written off left and right and 
What I didn't realize until I was ready to realize it in my own healing journey and uh, as a clinician was was the the profundity of the role that mental wellness plays in our physical health, like the that mind body connection, which can be talked about so blithely, like oh, mind body, like take a deep breath and then you know, but but to. But I really started to see this pattern uh, in my my clinic patients. I had a private practice in Manhattan doing functional medicine for some years. And I really started to see this pattern where folks would get better because I'd put them, I'd do the right tests, I'd give them the right supplements, the right nutrition, and they'd get better and they'd get better and they would remit. They'd start to feel like crap again. Mm-hmm. And then they'd get better and they'd get better and they'd feel worse and better, right? So it was this expansion and contraction and expansion and contraction. And what I started having them do was, was track everything, right? So I'm an epidemiologist as well by training and the more data, the more better. So what were the stressors? Who were you in relation to before you started feeling lousy? Did you have a hard talk with your boss, with your partner, with your in-laws, right? What were the human to human interactions? What was going on in your life? And through that, I started to see the role of the nervous system, in our digestive wellness, in our mental health, meaning like depression, anxiety, insomnia, thyroid, uh, on and you know, reproductive health, period problems, on and on and on. Uh, and just how much the stories we tell about ourselves and the world literally directly and sometimes pretty immediately impact our felt experience of being alive in our bodies, our somatic or bodily experience of life. Right. So if you're walking around saying, damn, I'm a piece of shit. I can't believe I made that mistake again. You're going to get a bellyache. You're going to get a headache. Right. Like it's, it's, I'll say, like, I don't want to oversimplify it either. Right. There are multiple factors for every physical ailment. Right. And every mental health concern. But there is a direct impact between the stories we tell about ourselves and about the world and our role in it and our physical health. Yeah, well, I want to hear more about all of it. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all of it. Great. So, this is a 27,000 hour show. Great. I'm here for it. I'm not busy. Let me clear my day. My day is cleared. And by my day, I mean the the rest of my life. Let's go. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's perfect. (laughs) No problem. Done. For you, done. (laughs) Okay, but I'm wondering. So, you're talking about this connection between like, our minds and our nervous systems and what's going on in our bodies and our guts. Yeah. You mentioned the vagus nerve and the microbiome. Yeah. And so yeah. like, it's a good place to start about yeah. what, what literally those connections are, like what connections yeah. are happening. Yeah. So you want to talk about the vagus nerve? Yeah, let's talk about the vagus nerve. Okay. So when we talk about the vagus nerve, we talk about polyvagal theory, the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, PhD, made into English by Deb Dana, LCSW, because, of course, the woman and the social worker took all that that sciencey nerdiness and made it actually understandable. <laughs> Deb Dana. I put emphasis on the word theory behind polyvagal. Everything in science is today's hypothesis. There is no fact in science. That's what makes it science right? It's just all the hypothesis we believe today. Can we poke holes in polyvagal theory? Absolutely. Am I interested in that? No, (laughs) not really. Because as a nerd who's been doing the work of explaining science to patients and clients for 20 years, polyvagal theory is easy to understand. 
right? It makes logical sense to me and my clients, and it helps us to shed a lot of the blame and shame and guilt we feel for the automatic autonomic reactions of our bodies, right? Like getting activated or triggered by something is something that can leave people feeling a lot of shame. And when you look at it through the lens of polyvagal theory, and we're going to get into detail in a second, it really is a beautiful way to shed that self-blame and be like, oh, snap, that's just science. So I'm not particularly interested in debunking polyvagal, but rather simply in saying it's a theory. Let's treat it as such. Let's use what's helpful. And where we don't think the science really adequately tells the story, let's find the rest of the story. Yeah. Cool? Great. I think it's really important to say that. So um, so what, what, what is a polyvagal? So uh, the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body. It runs out of the, of the, the skull, out of the brain, the cranium part, and down through the middle of the animal. And it enervates or gives nerve function to everything along its path. So your thinking bits, your seeing, your smelling, uh, all these things are your hearing are controlled by parts of the vagus nerve, swallow reflux, heart and lungs, digestion, thyroid, reproductive, like Legit, most of you as an animal is somehow impacted by the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve uh, is constantly scanning the environment through a process called neuroception, right? Using your nerves and the nervous system to sept, to know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's understanding the world and it's asking one simple question, safe or unsafe. That's it. It's, it's binary. It's it's a simple, right? Ancient, the 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 knock-on downstream effects are wicked freaking complicated. And I'm sorry, I'll translate. That's hella complicated for the West Coast. <laughs> but we're here on the East Coast. We're going to keep it wicked. It's wicked complicated what happens biochemically. But that initial switch is lion or tabby cat. And that's what the vagus nerve is asking. Is my human about to be lunch? Or like we cool here, right? So the vagus nerve activates all these bits along the middle of us or deactivates them based on lion or tabby cat. So when it's tabby cat, our bodies are in a state, uh, and sorry, there are three main states to the vagus nerve uh, and to our nervous system, right? Those are ventral vagal, which is the safe and social part of the nervous system. Uh, that's where I am right now. It looks like you're there too. We're chill. We're like two nerds being nerdy, talking about nerdetry, <laughs> like having a fun time. Like, oh my God, this is our job. We get to talk about this stuff. We're What lucky animals are we, right? Ventral vagal. We've got just enough sympathetic activation, which is fight or flight, to, to be active. Like I'm gesticulating wildly like an animal like me would do, right? I'm really jazzed. I've got a little adrenaline, a little get up and go, a little like, hi, but the core of me is just like chill and solid. I'm not scared, right? I don't detect a threat anywhere in this room. Mm -hmm. So from ventral vagal, from totally chill, the nervous system's looking for threats. Should that I see a threat, for example, the aforementioned lion, or these days, like your mom texting or someone not liking your stuff on Instagram or, right, the, the smell of your ex's perfume, um, your body says threat, 
and immediately sympathetic activation is triggered within the, the nervous system via the vagus nerve. Uh, that leads to the release of adrenaline, norepinephrine, eventually cortisol. Uh, these are stress hormones that activate our body to run away. Um, the human will first, we will try to fight if we cannot uh, we'll try to flight rather first, right? We'll always try to evade because we know that we're small. Like Erin, how tall are you? Five seven. <laughs> okay, so you're pretty big, but I'm five three <laughs> and three quarters. You're you're pretty much a giantess, and I'm actually I have something on a top shelf I can't reach. Do you mind coming over later? Yeah, I'm like, my practice is yeah. one, so I'm used to oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're totally used to it. No, I totally, I'm like, Billy. She's only, yeah, she's, she's around your height, but I'm still like, help. Um, but even at your enormous height, my darling, you and me against a rhino. Yeah. You and me against a lion, right? Don't make me say tigers and bears, oh my, but you know I will. We are small animals, so we try to flight when possible, should that fail, we fight. The system driving that is sympathetic activation, adrenaline. Next, should that fail? Should we, you can't flight, you can't fight, it's a lion, right? What's a smart animal to do? Look dead. So the next state the nervous system goes into is dorsal, freeze, disconnect. A little bit of, and these are all on a spectrum right? It's not an on off. It's, it's a, it's like a little rainbow of energetics. So a little dorsal is, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're like kind of sleepy, but you want to chat just a little bit, you feel just really nice and just really soft in your skin. It's a little bit of dorsal. It's very nice. (laughs) Or like Savasana. That's dorsal. The dorsal, we're talking about the sort of extreme end of it. You've seen a lion, you've detected a threat, is the shutdown, dissociate, you leave your body, right? Many of us, unfortunately, have experienced this where you're just like not in the room, zoning out like, wait, what? That can be a little shutdown dorsal as well. Your body is flooded with endogenous opioids, which turn your pain off, which is pretty dope. Um, Like, Erin, would you like to feel your leg if a lion was biting it? Now. <laughs> now. Okay. Me neither. Right. And so luckily our body thought of that and it turns pain receptors off. We're numb. The problem is when we're physiologically numb to pain, we are numb to our own emotions as well. Yeah. So that's what's happening physiologically. You asked about that mind-body connection and why this is relevant. My work as a coach is around codependency, perfectionism, and people pleasing. What's yeah. lions got to do with it? Right. So <laughs> what is that's okay. I'm so excited. Okay, I got a little tiny more sympathetic, but nice sympathetic. So when we're in ventral vagal, when our nervous systems are chill, everything is working optimally in our body physiologically, like the poop machines going, thinking machines going, period making machines going, thyroids, everything's great. And what's also working optimally is our capacity to choose our thoughts and to, to really cultivate the emotional state we want to feel. So we are able to say, whew, you know, that was some tough news I got, but I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to get grounded in myself. I'm going to stay centered, right? Oh, I'm really disappointed you're not coming to dinner, but I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to go sympathetic. I'm not going to make it mean I'm the worst. I'm not going to go dorsal and collapse. From ventral vagal, we have choicefulness. We have agency, right? We have the capacity to live in our dignity, 
in our bodies, present in our bodies, because sympathetic and dorsal are states in which we are not actually in our body fully, right? And when we're not in our body, we lose all choicefulness. We are reacting as animal, as mammal. That's when we lash out and say mean things. That's when we get anxious. That's when we go to panic. That's when we, wait, what, 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 what? I'm not in my dignity. I'm not, I'm not integral, right? I'm not integrated. I'm not in the wholeness of self. So too with dorsal, right? So sympathetic is anxious. I have to, I have to, I have to. Dorsal is depressed. I can't. Oh, I can't. I don't, uh, grad school, I don't know. I can't break up with her. I just can't. I don't, I eat what I'm, the naturopath told me. I can't, I can't, I can't. It's a deep doubting of self. Self-doubt lives indoors, mm. right? And self-recrimination lives in sympathetic. So we can start to map our lived experience of the world and the stories we tell about self and the world, our predominant narratives, and we can see which are sympathetic and which are dorsal at their core nature. Yeah? And so from an understanding of ourselves through this lens, this polyvagal lens, this somatic, where soma means body in Greek, somatic lens, we can then start to understand what we individually as animals need in order to come back from the abyss, in order to regulate ourselves back into ventral vagal, not because sympathetic or dorsal are problems. Oh, no. Right? They're, they're beautiful roadmaps to what we want and need. And staying there is often not the healthiest, most supportive choice for ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we get to cultivate tools like the thought work uh, based on cognitive behavioral theory, another theory that I teach my clients um, using the somatic practices. I also teach my clients where we interact with the body to see what it wants and needs when it detects a threat that's, and I say these words with love, a threat that's not real, meaning there's no lion here, baby. I'm not saying that it doesn't feel scary, but like your mom texting isn't actually a threat usually right yeah 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 I think thank you so much for breaking all that down oh my god it was so fun (laughs) (laughs) I think the place where I get stuck is like I think about so years ago before the pandemic um I was assaulted on the subway and after Mm. that I had to see like a naturopath and I really like my adrenals were all like my body was really like responding to the experience it's also responding to being really stressed perceiving threat every time I left the house and walked on the street went on the subway anytime a stranger would come up behind me and it's you know it's been years and I still feel those things at a lesser level than I did before and I think that's what feels tricky is like it feels easier when it's like, this isn't actually a threat, but then I'm like, it might actually be a threat though. Sure. Like, yeah. You know? Totally. Right. But that's, well, so first of all, I just want to hold a little space and send some love from my tender heart to your tender heart and say, mm-hmm. lo siento. I'm sorry. It's like English doesn't have the right words, right? Like, lo siento that that happened to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you sweet pea. I would like to give you a consensual hug <laughs> through the Zoom. It's received. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the consent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sweet pony. So, 
here's the challenge. Yeah. And when we are reacting to the threat of threats, we are not in our full neuroceptive and cognitive capacity to actually evaluate threat. Mm-hmm. Does that English? Right, so. When you're walking through the woods, let's see if let's see if metaphora will do it. I'm Argentine, so when you can add 12 metaphors to it, I always will. Gorgeous. So, <laughs> thank you. Anytime you need a metaphora, I call an Argentine. Um, they're Italian. They're pretty good, too. So you're walking through the woods and every crunch of the leaves around you, you're like, bear. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your nervous system is so jacked up. And if you think of, okay, let's think of your body as having an actual gas tank of adrenaline. Right. And it's full up to 10 when you get to the woods. And the first squirrel knocks it down to a 9.5 and then to a 9.2 to a nine. You're using up all your capacity to flight or fight and to actually be responsive by being reactive. Right. If every squirrel, every chipmunk, every bird sets off the alarm, then by the time there's actually a bear, your capacity to to actually respond thoughtfully will be pretty spent up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm if I'm reacting to every potential threat that's not really right. a threat. Then by the time like something actually scary might happen, I'm like all the way. Yeah, you're spent up, baby. Yeah. You, you you don't have the juice. You don't have the juice to actually respond. You need to respond because you've been reacting. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so what the work then is to, you know, and my training, I'm by I I one is biased towards one's training, right? If you like your training, right? So I've trained in sensory motor psychotherapy as a coach, which is Pat Ogden's work. And I, I really enjoyed that training and work. But what I absolutely love is somatic experiencing which is Peter Levine's work. And so what what we do in somatic experiencing is complete that stress activation cycle, right? So when the body goes into sympathetic, it needs to flight or it needs to fight or it needs to go into freeze before it can come back to ventral, Mm -hmm. right? So let's think about it like my my partner startled me the other day. She was very sneaky and hid behind a door. It was it was like ten out of ten possible points to her. It was well done. And so when she did that, I like immediately like gentle punched her. I was like Billy, and like gentle punched her. And was like, oh man, good job. Like you really scared the crap out of me, right? <laughs> like well done. But my body wanted to punch. I mean, I didn't punch, punch her people. Come on. But like, I, you know, like joshing around, like punch, like a little like play slappy paws of like, but my body needed to to let that attack energy out, that self-defending energy out. Right. And so that's what we do in somatic experiencing is go back. We create a safe container. We use tools like pendulation, which is we we find safety in the nervous system and then go to what's scary, back to safety, back to scary, right? We go slow, slow and steady and we titrate the experience. We don't drop you into the abyss, right? Um, we gently work towards uh, a, the body telling us what it needed in, to complete in that moment, right? So, um, right, is it pushing? 
Is it punching? Is it screaming? Is it like, what does the body need? And then the goal isn't to actually like start punching pillows, right? Because that's sort of cathartic experience. Um, while it can be cute, it doesn't actually complete the stress activation cycle if it's not tied to the memory, because that's what it's the memory circuit in the brain that creates the neural map that creates, um, that continues to tie into that experience when you're in a similar situation again. Okay. So people will be like, if you're angry, just like randomly punch pillows. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I get where they're going, but it's like a half understanding of the science, right? It really like, it it needs to be tied to, to the felt experience of the memory. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's, we we used to believe you had to like tell the story of your terrors right? That talk therapy was the way. And I'm so glad we don't need, we don't believe that anymore because like eek, right? Like that's the <laughs> phrase. Tell the story of your terrorism. Like, right? <laughs> oh my God. Also, if you ever need something made like as hyperbolic as humanly possible, please find an Argentine. <laughs> like we will just always take it to 10. We are a very dramatic. I don't know if you've ever watched any soccer match in your life. We're a very dramatic people. So yeah, the, the tales of your terrors. Uh, yeah, it's not necessary, but allowing your body to complete the, the energy of what it wanted to do in a challenging moment. That is one of the ways that is really panning out, right? It's we're really seeing over the last 30 years that it's changing people's lives and really, and it's changed mine, it's changed my clients, right? Somatic experiencing is one of the core things I do in my work with my clients, mm -hmm. uh, in my coaching work, because um, it, it is really very helpful. So with that having been, having gotten some closure there to that activation cycle, then potentially you could be on the subway and allow your discernment to tell you what is a real threat. Yeah. Right? Like, so it's like a, like a rectifying of the spidey sense. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. My spidey sense is definitely uh, <laughs> on it's hypersensitive. Yeah. And hypervigilance makes sense after an assault. Like, yeah. We, please hear, hear, well, hear it however you want to. You're an adult, but I'll share that I, I mean this with the deepest love in my heart. Duh. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Of course, baby. Like, yeah. of course, you feel that way. Yeah. Like that makes perfect sense. And yeah. so you also get to befriend that, honor that, right? Welcome that. And really allow that hypervigilance to feel really, really celebrated. So this is one of the things we do in Anchored in my six-month program that really people are always like, wait, girl, what? And I'm like, we're about to like celebrate your, your demons, celebrate your, your darkness, celebrate your shadow, celebrate your pain, celebrate your, your challenges. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts, the, oh, God, I'm no good. I'll never amount to anything. No one will ever love me. Mm -hmm. Bring them. Bring them. We're going to put a party hat on them. We're going to get them some balloons. We're going to get some cake devil's food, of course, what, <laughs> right? Like let's, let's celebrate them because they're here for a reason, right? Those hypervigilant thoughts that you have when you're in a crowd or on the subway, 
They're because your body loves you, Erin. Your <laughs> body loves you, body. you so much. Thank you, body. <laughs> Thank you, body. Thank you, body. <laughs> Thank you, body. <laughs> Thank you, brain. Thank you so much. Right. And that exactly that moment, like your smile, that beautiful smile that just came out when you said, thank you, buddy. That's the work of befriending. Yeah, I think that all makes so much sense. And yeah, feels feels true to my experience for sure. So thank you for sharing. I think I'm. Yeah, I'm wondering what else is can be like going on with a nervous system that is uh, struggling to find that flow between states and getting like, I feel like mine is getting stuck in that sympathetic activation when I'm like out and about Um, how that impacts like the rest of our bodies. Like you were talking about your experience with all of your tummy issues and I feel like everyone has tummy issues. So what's well, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so this is where I pause again. So one of the things that happens in the white wellness industrial complex is stuff that is really not simple gets wicked oversimplified. Um, and I'm not really having it. So um, let me say this. Sure. It's your, th- it's your thoughts. It's your nervous system, but it's not just your thoughts and your nervous system. Like yeah. let's remember to throw like big pharma under the bus. Let's send Monsanto right under there with it. Let's send GMOs yeah. right under the bus. Um, our late stage capitalism, right? White settler colonialism, homophobia, transphobia. I mean, like on and on and on, right? Like the real answer is decolonizing. Like the answer to the tummy trouble slash nervous system trouble is decolonizing. Yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> part of what could be happening, yeah, is this. My beloved Aaron, let's say you're chase, being chased by a lion. Would you like your body to focus on digesting the cheeseburger you just had? Or would you like it to focus on, oh my God, run, punch? <laughs> yeah, the second one for sure. <laughs> the second one. Okay, wait, let me put that in your chart. Okay, great, run, punch. Excellent choice. Yeah, come on, mittens, right? If you're in anxiety, if you're in stress, if you're worked up, if you think threat, 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 you're not going to digest that. You know why? Because that would be dumb and you're not dumb. (laughs) But like legit, right? Like your body's way too smart to digest if you're under attack. Yeah. Right. And you live, we work and live in these fast paced environments, right? When we come, when we have codependent perfectionist and people pleasing thinking Every part of our mindset is focused on keeping others happy with us at an incredible cost to our own selves, right? To our sense of self, our worth, our value. Everyone else must love us and approve of us and think well of us or there's something wrong with us, right? And that something wrong with us is tantamount to death. That's a lot of stress, right? The body's in this constant fight or flight from our own internal monologue, right? Yeah. And so our own thinking keeps us stuck in these loops. Is mama blaming the victim? Absolutely not. My goal is to empower and and to bring an agency and recognize like, yes, we are suffering under all these systems. Yes, we learned lousy lessons from our family of origin. And we can pause and say, it stops here. It stops with me. I am no longer available to, to be dysregulated by my own painful narrative that says that I'm less than. 
Like, I'm not here for that anymore. And I say that because I was so here for it for so long because I didn't recognize or realize that anything else was possible. I had no model of healthy self-love growing up. Right? Yeah. And and luckily, my chosen family has shown me what that beautiful self-love, community love, collective love, and care can all look like and has been such a such a balm for my heart, right? To recognize another way is possible. And so as we start to recognize that the lousy story about ourselves keeps our nervous system thinking we're being chased by a lion. So we go to sympathetic or we've been chased by a lion for so long, we've got no get up and go left and we're collapsed into freeze into dorsal. Yeah. Right. And so your liver doesn't, doesn't do detox so well, right? Your uterus doesn't build a healthy endometrium and shed it. You don't get as much progesterone as you, as you need. If as a knock-on effect of your adrenal health, as a knock-on effect of your nervous system, as a knock-on in an interplay with your thoughts, right? So nervous system thoughts, right? It's it's chicken egg, right? And we, I think intervening just at the level of thought work, just doing mindset work is, it's insufficient. Remember, I'm a holistic healthcare provider, right? I don't give people Advil. I ask what is actually causing the headache, Right. Yeah. And so it's root cause medicine that I practice, and this is root cause medicine. So the bellyache, being chased by a lion, thinking you're not worthy of love, it's all part and parcel. And like also maybe you have a parasite. I had a parasite. <laughs> like, <laughs> like let's also like oh, maybe you have a parasite, right? Like maybe you have bacterial overgrowth. Maybe you have fungus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. And that resonates a lot around, yeah, loving yourself and believing yourself as sort of the, I think, yeah, I grew up super Christian. And so like self-love is not really a thing that you are. Yeah. How ironic is Invited that? to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very- so ironic. JC was such a dope dude. JC. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, you know, he was like, oh, sex work is work. Yeah, you're dope. Let's hang out. Oh, you're a leper? That's cool. Yeah. Do you want some wine? It used to be water. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be water. Right? Yeah. 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 It's such loving yeah. doctrine at its core, right? It's, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really cool when, like, I know people who are reclaiming Christianity in that way. Right on. I think yeah. Yeah. So rad. And I love that. Um, but yeah, I think it's been being able to like grow up and become more myself and leave yeah. my family, all of that stuff that has been able to interrupt some of those patterns. Um, and also, I think my like processing of my sexuality and coming out and all of that stuff really ha- was so connected to that. Like, I, right. I don't know. I was like keeping parts of myself hidden from myself and lying to myself and all those things. And I think it was really like, yeah, eroding a positive relationship with myself and things have, yeah, been so much better in the years since then. And yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. And, and queer chosen family can be so supportive around 
just reflecting our inherent goodness back to us. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm so grateful yeah. for that because it's so true. And I really yeah. believe that in that inherent yeah. goodness in all of yeah. us. And yeah. 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 I'm wondering where the um the fawn response might come into this. Um yeah. I know you did a podcast about this and I've read things from other folks on it too, but I would love to hear a little bit about your perspective on fawning. Well, what what is it? Yeah, what's it all about? I, I thought you'd never ask. Um, <laughs> so fawn is being quickly recognized as the as the 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 fourth F of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so we so fawning is is a mixed state. So it is both a it is a learned response and it is it's your foot's on the gas and your foot's on the brake at the same time. So it's both sympathetic and dorsal in a way. Um so what fawn let me back up for people who are like, yeah, dude, but what are you talking about? <laughs> um fawning, I always think of Bambi and just like mm-hmm. right. Um but um it's it's it comes from the story I need everyone to like me in order to be safe. Right? Which for so many of us, for folks in a in any and all marginalized bodies, that it makes it makes a lot of logic. You know what I mean? Like it makes a lot of a lot of smart to keep the people thinking you're really just like sweet and wonderful and great and like so easy to be around. And like that's yeah. what it looks like. It's like acting like a little Bambi and being like, hi, yeah, no, you, okay, you hate dinner. Okay, great. Let me just, I'm going to throw it out and just start all over. I just spent like four hours on that paella. It's totally fine. It's not a big deal. It's fine. I got it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Right? No, no. If you don't like it, then that's great. Right? And that's like a silly example, but like, you know, it really is about trying to keep everyone happy with us and appeasing everyone around us from it's this it's in many ways fawning is the nervous system state of codependency mm. right because it tracks with that same story in the mind so i define codependent thinking as chronically and habitually sourcing our sense of safety worth and wellness from everyone and everything around us instead of from within ourselves mm. and in many ways appeasing is the is the action line that supports that way of thinking, right? So if I am walking through the world thinking, if they don't all, from my boss to my parent to my partner to my kid to the strangers on the bus, if they don't all think that I'm amazing and wonderful and incredible, then I'm actually not safe, right? There is a lion in my living room. Then you're going to do everything in your power to keep everyone safe with you. Right. And so when someone says, Hey, your favorite color is orange. Right. And you're like, no, it's blue. But you're like, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you ask? Oh, well, cause I bought you like all these orange things. And you're like, fuck, now I'm going to have to put them up. Right. And that that's the rest of the thinking. I'm going to have to put them up. They're going to have to be visible. Right. I can't say no, I can't. Right. It's a lot of the, I can't right? That is part and parcel of dorsal. We see I can't as the the verbal experience of dorsal, but there's this push behind it of I have to, right? Mm-hmm. I can't do me. I have to do them. I can't do me. I have to do them. That's fawning, 
right? And that is what it is to walk around the world with codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing thinking. It is the fawn state. Mm. Do you think about um, attachment theory at all in this? When you're talking <laughs> about that, I'm like, yeah, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love attachment theory. Everyone heard us say the word theory, um, <laughs> right? Because that's all we're ever talking about. I love attachment theory. So, um, yeah, codependent thinking, codependent behaving is is inherently insecure attachment and, and can swing either. I see more anxious attachment, but it can definitely swing avoidant. Um, but, yeah, it does tend to tend to be more anxious of the like, love me, love me, love me, love me. Ah, don't leave me. Ah, don't leave me. I'm, <laughs> I'm doomed if you leave, right? Which is also yeah. at the core of fawn, right? I need to keep everyone close to me because if they leave me, I'm doomed. Yeah. 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 When you're talking about that, I'm thinking about anxious attachment and how I think something like my partner and I've had to work on is like someone's feel like it's okay for us to have different feeling states. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I can be sad. My partner can be something else or like, you know, like that we don't. um, But I think in the beginning and sometimes still, it feels a little bit scary, but definitely the beginning of our relationship, it felt very scary to, um, to, yeah, not be totally enmeshed. Like, like, um yeah which is yeah resonance resonant with uh, what you're yeah and it's like I'm sure if you look you know if one were because let's it's not just you kid and we can globalize this right but if one (laughs) is to look back to and let me back up so so attachment theory yeah is uh for folks who are like what is there's more words more than nerds more words from nerds um so um it's funny i my my frog voice is starting to come out i had a little cold last week folks and it's starting i'm getting froggy but it's kind of getting a little sultry it's kind of nice yeah, right? I like it. Yeah. a little lounge singer uh <laughs> we're like we're tuberculosis life. right i yes I am yeah. currently dimming the lights. I say I'm lighting a cigarette, but the thought of that makes me like cough in my soul. Um, wait, where were we going? Attachment theory. So um, as as we once, as children's, we need to know that it it is safe to cry. That, uh, right, one of the most primal things we do as children is release a, an attachment cry. And the attachment cry is our way of seeing if uh, we are okay in ventral vagal or if we need to go into sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if the attachment cry that is met with love, with care, with attunement, uh, if we're understood and yeah, attuned to, then we our nervous system stay in ventral vagal. If no one comes, no one attaches to us, or if we're not attuned to the way we want and need to be, then um we go into sympathetic, right? Uh, and if that still doesn't get us care, then we just go into despair and end up in drowning in some dorsal. So that's why, you know, one of the big things in pediatrics, we always say in those first six months, whatever baby wants, baby gets, mm. right? 24-7, whatever baby wants, they get, because that's when they're the beginning of that real attachment system is forming and they need to know it's as safe as possible. Anyway, so uh, in adults, so in in childhood, um, whether we, if the attachment figure, meaning the parent or caregiver, whomever the grown-up is or the slightly older than us is that's taking care of us, uh, if they come when we cry, 
then we can feel secure in our attachment to them. If they don't come when we cry, we develop insecure attachment. Insecure attachment, and I'm doing broad strokes, folks. Don't come at me with like, oh, you miss disorganized type three. I know. <laughs> I know. It really is going to be a six-hour conversation if we don't, but yeah, there's whole books about this. We can't cover there's, there's like, <laughs> Yeah, there's like years of grad school about this. Like, come on, everybody. So anyway, I'm just preempting the mail that you might otherwise get. Um, she didn't talk about the 27th type. Um, so broad strokes, we're going with secure and insecure. And from insecure, we're going with avoidant and, and anxious. So anxious is um, the parent would come sometimes. They would come sometimes, but not be fully attuned, right? They weren't reliable. And so we got anxious about, will they come back? Will they come back? Will they attune? Will they come back? Will they be attuned? And so I tend to see that in that codependent, um, sort of clingy, graspy, like, okay, I'll chameleon. I'll shapeshift. I'll become somebody I'm not. I'll appease. I'll fawn. Like, I need you to believe that I'm the person you want me to be so that you'll stay with me. You won't abandon me right? Like I'm even getting a little sympathetic talking about it, right? Like, let me be not me so that you'll want me and then you won't leave me. You won't abandon me and I won't die cold and alone on a mountainside. Yeah. Right. And so then avoidant attachment is when often when we had more smothering in childhood, right? When we weren't allowed to be ourselves, when we were uh, controlled or manipulated, uh, when it was that sort of, or um, yeah, I just didn't feel like it was okay to have face, to individuate, to be ourselves. Uh, and so in adulthood, in relationship, we, we keep partners uh, and sometimes friends as well at arm's length, right? So we avoid attaching because attachment doesn't feel safe. That can also come from early childhood abandonment or rejection as well. But I tend to find it's from, from sort of too much and too much attention from in a misattuned way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, it plays a huge role in our nervous system, um, in the initial setting of our nervous system, which is not just those first six months, but ages zero to seven. Um, and then the narrative we have about ourselves and the world, which keeps us either stuck in codependent ways of thinking and, and act and believing and relating, uh, or not. Yeah. 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 When I first learned about attachment theory, I was like, holy shit. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah, it really helps. Um, make it's some holy sense. shit stuff. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And the really more you does. can spot it, you know, and yeah, it's it's been really amazing to do really intense work over the last decade to heal my own attachment as I've healed my nervous system and reparented my inner children um, and to just watch myself be in relationship without that old grasping of anxious attachment. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is beautiful. Pretty dope. I'm into I'm it. on the journey. So that's yeah. encouraging. Listen, the journey's lifelong. Yeah. The journey's <laughs> lifelong, but I gotta tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't do that graspy thing like I used to. Yeah. It's pretty dope. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> Well, yeah. I guess we could talk for 10,000 hours, but <laughs> I want to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which is since the name of the podcast is Living Open, what does Living Open mean to you? What comes up when you mm. 
So my mentor, uh, Armand Finn, says that the essential human task is to live from our big open hearts and to be of the most good, to do the most good in this lifetime, Mm -hmm. right? So authenticity, living from our authenticity is our essential human task. Uh, And that's always resonated in my heart, Mm -hmm. right? How can I show up a little more me and a little more in my dignity from my integrity, understanding that when I live in and from my dignity, I don't just model that for others. My nervous system shows theirs that it's safe to live that same way. And I am, because I'm deeply collectivist, I am only able to show up this way because I have the gift of of siblings in, in this work who showed me how to do and taught me how to do it and modeled it for me, right? And so for me, living open is how can I be the most Maria Victoria I possibly can be today and be an example for others as others have been an example for me? Mm, That's beautiful. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. Can you tell people where they can find you and work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you, well, first and foremost, I have a present for your listeners. What is it? This is so exciting. So it's a suite of meditations, nervous system orienting exercises, and other little treats that I made just for your beautiful audience. Isn't that fun? Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> so if you head on over to victoriaalbina.com slash living open, all one word. Uh, you can download the meditations right there. They go right there for free, $0. Go right to your email inbox and bada bing, bada boom, you're in the know. And that'll also put you on my email list and you'll hear about all the, I do a ton of free webinars and low cost workshops and um, all sorts of fun stuff. So you'll be all in the know about that. I also have a podcast. It's called Feminist Wellness. It's for humans of all genders, um, all about these kind of topics, nervous system, mental health, physical health. It's a really good time. Um, It's it's, it's a damn good time. I'll say that. You can also (laughs) follow me on the gram. Uh, I give good gram at Victoria Albino Wellness. Uh, And those are the big three. That's how you can find me. Cool. Thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.